When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. We love Smithy's sermon, don't we, here every morning here on ECNZ, and hopefully we will get to it. But at this stage, I'm just going to be introducing the show. John Day here, his producer, Ian Smith, and we've got a cracker show. And Smithy has lined up some beautiful guests today. Stephen Bock. His old teammate, a great left-arm spinner, uh, played about 30 tests for New Zealand. Uh, He will be talking about that second test between India and the Black Caps happening tonight, 5 o'clock on SENZ live commentary here all day from our brilliant team. So can't wait to talk to Stephen Bock or for Smithy too, hopefully. Uh, Then we've got Leanne Walker, a former tall fern, brilliant player for New Zealand back in the day and also a great coach coming through the ranks. She's got two kids as well, Charlize and Crystal, playing uh, basketball in America in the college system. So it'll be a good chat with Leanne Walker as well. After 10 o'clock, Andrew Mulligan, the voice of the breakers, Sky Sports commentator. Uh, they open their season tomorrow uh, against South East Melbourne uh, and they've had a lot of COVID problems too, the breakers, so I wonder how they're going to go over there in Australia to start the season. Our panel today will be Jeff McTanch from Sky Sport as well and Jordan Oppett from TVNZ and we head to Louis Herman Watt of course before 11 and the TAB and after 11, the boss of the Wellington Phoenix, David Dome, the CEO. The women open their campaign tonight, the first ever professional women's football team in New Zealand. Exciting times. They're uh, over in the A-League, as are the men tonight, a doubleheader. And then, of course, we've got Michael Guerin and all the regulars, stumped by Smithy after 11.30. And at this time, we would normally do Smithy's sermon, so it's a bit weird not to play the sting, but we have Baz McCullum still Hanging out in the studio, Baz? Are you going to help me out here, mate, or what's the story? Yeah, I can. I can help you out if you want, mate. Absolutely. I've got no sermon, though. Yeah. And I certainly won't proclaim to have the intellect that our, our good man Smitty has. After all, we are the, what are we, the colouring in, and he's the crystal crossword <laughs> for this whole thing. So. Yeah, it's what he keeps on saying. Um, but I'm sure we'll get a sermon at some point, Baz. I think we'll just chew the fat for maybe um, five minutes, go to an ad, and then hopefully Smithy will be back on the back of that. But um, Spin, how do you think we should go tonight? Should we play three spinners again, or should we leave one out and play Neil Wagner? Yeah, look, I reckon, JD, I think we should leave out. Um, personally, I'd leave out Will Somerville, not, not because of his own performance, but because I think we just have to do what we need to do to get Neil Wagner in the side. He's a proven match winner. He's got something about him that the tougher the game gets, the tougher the conditions are, the more he steps up. And also may mention on, on our Baznizzi for breakfast, JD, that I feel that the, the quick backup from first test to second test uh, and the workload that was put on Tim Southey and Cole Jameson, I think they could just Good point. they could do with some extra support crew there. So I think for me, Neil Wagner comes in. I still feel we need 
um, Ratchin Ravindra because I feel we need the extra batting still. I think seven is too high for Kyle Jameson at this stage of his career. So that's what I'd do. I'd leave out Will Somerville and uh, and I'd bring in Neil Wagner and I'd hope and I'd pray, as Smitty said on his on his show the other day, that the coin when the coin goes up, that it lands favourably for and Williamson and New Zealand have a bat first. It, has so anyone checked that coin, Baz? Virat Kohli's very good in his own country. <laughs> Too good. What are you in, What are you referring to there, JD? Well, no, does anyone inspect the coin? That's I'm just ask, asking the question, Baz. It seems to be that they win the toss a lot in their own conditions. Yeah, they do happen to win the toss a lot. But hey, one thing I will say is, I heard someone, uh, it was on Staffy's show yesterday, actually, in the afternoon, I heard someone say that Kane Williamson was a bad tosser. Now, he's not a bad tosser. For a start, he's a bloody good bloke. And then secondly, his toss record is actually outstanding. So so just because he lost one toss, all of a sudden he's turned into a bad tosser. So get your facts right. Yeah, what kind of tosser are you, uh, B-Mac? For our New Zealand captain. Uh, well, it depends what day of the week it is, I guess. JD is sort of, you know... What about yourself, if we're on this personal level, asking questions like that? Oh, mate, at the pub, I'm sure I'll be told I'm a tosser later on this (laughs) afternoon when I head out with the lads. Um, But, hey, I'll let other people make the decision there. I think we'll take a break now. Baz, thanks so much for your time, mate. And hopefully on the other side, we'll have Smithy, Anna Sermon and Stephen Bock. We'll cross our fingers. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, welcome back in. 12 past nine here on a beautiful Friday morning here in Auckland. I'm producer John Day. We're still trying to work out Ian Smith's system down there in his home studio in Havelock, a few gremlins around in the system, so we will wait for Smithy. He will be with us, I'm sure, at some stage this morning. But in the meantime, of course, the Black Caps have an opportunity to do what no other New Zealand cricket team has done before, and that's win a series on Indian soil. Spin will once again be a major factor on the red clay in Mumbai. And joining us right now to take a closer look at the match is former New Zealand spinner Stephen Bock. Sorry about this, Stephen. I'm sure you are hoping to speak to your former teammate Ian Smith, but you got me, John Day, instead. Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed, John. <laughs> oh, we all are, I'm sure. Yeah, and the listeners too. But anyway, we will we will trudge on, Stephen. Um, just your reflections on that first test, the draw, was it a heroic draw for you or did you think maybe the Black Caps could have gone a bit harder for the win? Oh, it was, uh, you, you, couldn't, um, you couldn't say it wasn't exciting at the end um, yeah. and I think the last two sessions were quite incredible the way that uh, our players hung on. However, I've got to feel as I'm a bit of an outlier here because um, I just wish we had a more positive attitude to playing that game and I'm concerned that the World Test Championship points are taking a greater priority over winning Test matches. Um, People don't remember draws, they remember wins and I think during that game we had three chances where we could have driven at home and each time we went defensive and allowed India to to dominate us again. So I I, I don't know. If that's our strategy, to draw games in India, get four points, and be happy with four from an away game, well, that's what will happen in Mumbai again. Yeah, no, you're not alone there, Stephen. Uh, Ian Smith felt exactly the same. He thought it was an opportunity lost rather than, you know, an heroic draw. But I guess it does 
keep the series alive and that dream of beating India in India um, becoming the first New Zealand cricket side to do so. If this team was able to do that, Stephen, uh, would that make them the greatest test team that we've seen? Well, they are. Um, they are. For, they're the greatest New Zealand test team we've had. Um, and, uh, you know, the, it's, it's based around some phenomenal players, particularly our seam bowlers and, uh, and a couple of our top order batsmen, Kane and Tom. Yeah, yeah. Tom was superb in that first test, wasn't it? What is it about Tom Latham's game that suits the Indian conditions so well? Well, Tom's an opener. Like he, the way he plays, he's a born opener. He's gritty. He uh, he doesn't give in. And uh, only a couple of times, I think he uh, he lost concentration a little bit and had played some uh, played some tough shots, but he's uh, or loose shots. But he, he's a good player of spin bowling. He thinks really well, um, and uh, you know if we can get off to good starts like that. He, he also encourages the player at the other end. He has good partnerships, Tom, and a lot of it's due to his understanding of how to play. You know, he brings in players like Blundell and Young um, and makes them feel comfortable there. So I, I really rate Tom. Yeah, we all do. Superb opener, probably one of our best. Uh, but spin bowling's your area of expertise, Stephen. We had three of them in the first test. Do you think we'll stick with three spinners for the second test today? Well, we should, but uh, once again, it depends on what our strategy is. Um, and quite frankly, I think it's pointless going in with three spinners if we're not going to um, have attacking fields. Uh, we had instances in the first test where, well, in the second in the innings, where India were 50-odd for five, um, and we bowled defensive, with defensive fields, and it's really disappointing to see that when we should, like we bowled um, Ravindra, we should have been bowling Patel, who was our premier spinner, we should have had close-in fieldsmen. Players don't get out when uh, all the fieldsmen are out for singles or on the boundary. The, you've got to wonder how on earth we expected our spinners to get batsmen out when we had nobody around the bat, not even a slip. And uh, it, it was almost as though we took that opportunity to defend, our, to defend the game so that we could achieve the draw that we ultimately got. But it's just a shame because a few years ago, we were an attacking team, and that was an opportunity where we could have driven it home to win. But uh, I think it appears to me that that World Test Championship has taken away the need for us to try and win each game. Uh, we also need a good spin bowling mentor on mm. the tour. There's nobody there who is, who is a spin bowler to assist these guys. Um, previous tours, we've had players like Mushtaq who we've contracted in mm. to travel with our team. Um, we, we've got, um, as, as much as I admire our bowling coach and, uh, and the senior players, understanding spin bowling is a bit deeper than just bowling slow and keeping it on the spot. There's strategies you need, and especially in India. So it was a, that was a, that's all a bit of a shame, but we can't fix that. We've got to go into the test today um, with an attitude, hopefully, to win it.
I feel as though we won't, and I can see that I, I believe we'll probably drop a, a spinner. We've got to play Wagner, and I can't see that we should be playing Taylor. Right. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Ross Taylor uh, lately. Do you think maybe he's hanging on a, a bit too long with his test career? Well, look, Ross is the sort of player who go out there today if he plays and make 100. So, um, no, I don't think he's hanging on too long, but I think, uh, you know, it's just that his performances recently haven't been up to scratch. And, you, and you, you know, he hasn't had the... the um, the practice, the background yeah. to um, to be going into a test series. In fact, not not many of our batsmen have. I think you see it in Henry Nichols as well. But um, yeah, we, we just we we need our spin bowlers if we're going to use them to get wickets. They need to be given freedom. And I think one of the huge differences in that first test was how Ashwin, Jadeja, and Axa Patel all were telling. Rahani, what they wanted. Mm. You could see them, they called them over, they were saying, I want a man there, man there, man there. When you watched our players, they were passive, our spinners, they were passive, and it was Kane who was telling them what he was doing and how they were to bowl. Now, that's that's, that's the wrong way around. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you were a left-arm orthodox spinner. Uh, you know, we've got Ruchin, Ravindra, Ajaz Patel. Um have they got enough variations in their game for a modern-day spin bowler, or is, can you still just be a, an orthodox spinner with a couple of deliveries and still be a threat? Well, I think uh, like you're, you're threatening in Test cricket if you can bowl maidens. If you can bowl consistently and attack the stumps, you will get wickets because a maiden's the next best thing to a wicket, and you drive it by putting pressure on the on the batsman. From through not scoring, and that's what India did to us, and almost won. Mm. But we we're not doing that. Um, we haven't got uh, some of our players haven't had a lot of experience in first class cricket. Look, this is like running a marathon for a spin bowler, mm. and you don't run a marathon by running fourteen k runs every night. Yeah. Um, they've got to be bowling thirty thirty five overs on the trot. And there's got to be an understanding that they attack all the time, and people have got to be prepared to get in close to the bat. So um, that's where a mentor would be really good on this tour. Yeah, and having spin-friendly conditions in New Zealand, we had Heinrich Milan on the other day, the Auckland Aces coach, saying they should use uh, used pitches for the second half of the Plunkett Shield season. Is that a good idea to you? <laughs> I don't think you need to do that. Like, I'd love it if I was a bowler and they did that. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, was, uh, that, that would be outstanding. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't think you need to because what it does is uh, it takes away the real skill that you need to have as a spin bowler. See, the first six or seven overs you bowl, you need to work out what pace you need to be bowling, what the... You know, you, you need to know the humidity, whether the ball's going to drift and drop and wh- whether it's turning, whether you need to put a lot of effort in. A good example was Will Somerville, who you could see him bowling and he was trying harder and harder to spin the ball. It's not necessarily the right answer. Sometimes on these wickets, you really just need to be rolling it out a bit and keeping consistent line and length. And the ball will do a myriad of different things.
Mm. I don't think Jadeja is a great big turner of the ball, but some of those balls he bowled, the one he bowled um, Ravinder in the first innings that went between bat and pad was outstanding, but it just hit the right spot. Mm. So how crucial is the toss today, Stephen Bock? We hear a lot that uh, win the toss in India, bat and get big runs and you're a massive chance of winning the test. Uh, how important that Kane wins the toss today? Well, it is pretty important. Like, we've had an absolutely shocking run. And, I, you know, it's almost unbelievable it that is. we could lose so many tosses in a row. But uh, it would be nice to win it. But in saying that, we lost it in the last test and we did, we could have driven home a lot harder. Um, it's not the be-all and end-all of it. It's pretty tough on the batsmen when you win the toss and they know they've got to go out there and they're really... Under pressure at the start, it's a less pressured environment if you bowl first. Um, but that's what opening batsmen and top order batsmen are there for, and that's what they love. So that would be the, one of the key things: win the toss, bat first. But you've got to make sure you make 350. Yeah, and just finally, Stephen Bock, Virat Kohli back for India. Uh, you may have heard of him. Not a bad player. Uh, how much will he add? to the Indian team and just how much does he change their side in terms of his leadership as well as his batting? Well, he'll be keen to get back into it. He's had a nicely break. But once again, he's um, he's a bit short of test match cricket and long-term, you know, long-game long cricket. Um, so, you know, there's nothing to say that he will perform there, although it's one of his favourite grounds. He's outstanding. Like, I, I, I love Burrick Collins. Um, I think he's just brilliant. But, um, you know, our guys have got his measure as well. And I think, um, you know, Southy bowls well at Coley. Um, Jameson played with him in the IPL uh, or played in the same team. So, you know, they know Virat. And, um, you know, we've got a good chance. He, he's no different to any of the others as far as likelihood of scoring runs. They've got a strong batting lineup, but um, we've got a strong bowling lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Stephen Bock, an absolute pleasure to have you on with Mornings with Ian Smith for the first time ever, even though it was without Smithy. Yes, well, we give, give him my regards. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly will, Stephen. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Have a great day. Okay, John. Thanks. Cheers. Stephen Bock there, 30 Test New Zealand spinner, former teammate of Ian Smith. And Smithy, we're going to try and get you back on now. How are things in Havelock North? Well, uh, John, I'm getting terrible feedback, so you just carry on at the moment, please. Yeah, I'm also getting that ter terrible feedback, but not from our texters. Never get terrible feedback. It's all good. So double eight, double three, the Black Caps. They, if they've got it all in front of them, they can create history. They can win a test series in India for the first time. But do you agree with Stephen Bock that they need to be more aggressive with their fields, with the way that they bat? Um, do they need a more positive mindset in this test match? And do they need changes? Uh, I see a lot of people are mooting Neil Wagner. Smithy's been saying it the whole time. Smithy would bring in Neil Wagner for Ruchin Ravindra. And that would move Kyle Jamison up to number seven in the batting order. Is he good enough to bat seven? Or would you go with Brendan McCullum and bring in Neil Wagner for Will Somerville, who wasn't able to take a wicket uh, in that first test match, which was, you know, he bowled 30 overs. I know he hadn't been bowling for a long time, but orthodox off spin, 
Does it really trouble the Indian batsmen? And India, of course, will shake up their team. Uh, Virat Kohli will come in at number four. Do they drop Ajinka Rahani? What are you expecting the Indians to do? And there's been a lot of rain, actually, in the build-up to this test in Mumbai. The Black Caps haven't even been able to go and practice on the field where they'll be playing. Uh, So they've just been chilling out for two days in Mumbai when they should have been practicing. A lot of these guys haven't had cricket like Ross Taylor, like Stephen Bock mentioned, who he probably would not have in his side today. Can you believe that? 100 test veteran Ross Taylor, average of 45, top scorer 290. But I take your point on the text lately that he has not been scoring the runs uh, that we're used to from Ross in his last 20 innings, I think, averaging... 27. So for me, it's all about cricket today. Uh, five o'clock here on SENZ, our brilliant commentary team bringing you ball by ball action. And of course, the Aussies, we've got the Ashes coming up as well. They have named their squad. They've brought in Alex Carey to make his test debut in Brisbane at the Gabatoir against England next week. So that's very close as well. Um, yeah, your excitement levels for the Ashes also. Would love your text there, double eight. Double three two and Bathurst this weekend. Bathurst fans are always welcome on this show. Uh, motorsport fans, Ford or Holden, which one do you like? The Giz, can you go back to back at the mountain? A very exciting time of the year and strange to have Bathurst on in December. And then in terms of our t- Kiwi teams over in Aussie, we've got the women's Phoenix starting tonight. First ever game. They're paying 10 bucks to win their opening game against the Western Sydney Wanderers. So... That's long odds, and we do have David Dome, the CEO of the Wellington Phoenix, with us after 11 o'clock. And then after that, the men's men's Phoenix as well. Uh, They've made a great start to the season with a win and a draw. Can they make it another win? And we've got the Breakers tomorrow night too. Uh, Andrew Mulligan joining us, the commentator there, after 10 o'clock this morning. Hyped up about the Breakers. Uh, They've got a lot of COVID, which is not a great way to start a season, is it? Their last preseason game was cancelled, and they'll be without their coach, Dan Shamir, tomorrow night. So... How are you feeling about the breakers? There's still a lot of sport around for you to comment on here on ECNZ double eight double three oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. We are loving your interaction, so please be very forthcoming with it today, especially if I have to be on my own all day. Surely not. Surely we can get Ian Smith back on board. But I also have Trudy with me today, which is great. And we are coming up to the nine thirty news, and we'll do that now with Trudy. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for Sport. Welcome back into SCNZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. It is his producer, John Day, here. Just carrying the show for a little bit while we try and sort out Smithy's technical problems there in Havelock North. It is 28 minutes away from 10 and High Performance Sport New Zealand have announced their second intake of women's coaches for Te Ha Paitanga, a women's coach development initiative. 16 coaches from 15 different sports in the latest round, including the likes of Honey Hitterme Smiler for Rugby League, Julie Seymour for Netball, and of course our next guest, Tall Ferns legend and Waikato Wizards coach, Leanne Walker. Morning, Leanne. Good morning. Yeah, it's uh, John Day here instead of Ian Smith. I'm sure you're expecting to talk to Smithy, <laughs> but we carry on with these things. Um, congratulations on being included in this initiative. Um, how exciting is it for you? Yeah, really exciting. Um, being Getting the opportunity to work with some great mentors and in the high performance space is something that I'm really looking forward to. 
Yeah, so what's the format of this course? It's the second intake, so it's happened before. What, you know, Who do they involve? Um, who teaches you? How long does it go for? Uh, 18 months from what I understand. Uh, there are five residentials, so the cohort come together. Um, we get assigned to some mentors, cross-code, so people, you know, coaches that have been at the high-performance level um, in their own careers and are willing to give back, I guess. And, yeah, I mean, still learning about what it's, what it's going to involve. I know the first um, task that we've got coming up is, is like doing a 360 and just looking at um, what we need as coaches, what our development plan might look like. So, yeah, just, just good exploration for us and, and hopefully opportunities for us just to grow our comp- competencies as, as coaches. Absolutely, because you, yeah, you were a star player, and then you movely uh, quickly moved into coaching. So, how did you deal with that transition from player to coach? I tried to stay with the playing as long as I could, to be fair, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and did a bit of playing and coaching at the same time. But I guess it was a, a natural uh, progression from going playing into coaching roles, especially since you know my girls took the game up themselves and. Mm. Um, it was just part and parcel of being one of those parents actually that just had to get out there and, and help and be a volunteer coach and you know do the best that I could for them and the other girls in the sport. So that's where the progression came from. Just gradually eased out of the playing and, and into the coaching. Yeah, so there's being a part of this initiative, you've kind of been teaching yourself, would you say, as you go along and now you get some sort of expert guidance to, to really yeah. Uh, yeah, refine your style? Yep. A little bit like that, although I've been in and around some great coaches um, in my time who have, you know, always been encouraging and supportive and, um, you know, tapping me on the shoulder to put my hand up for a, a rep job here or there mm-hmm. just to stay within the game. So, and I have, have had some fantastic sport with other coaches around me and in my association. So, been pretty fortunate, actually. Yeah. And so, you know, coaches from 15 different sports, when you all get together... Um, do you think you'll be able to pick ideas from each other and you'll have similar yeah. ways you go about things? Yeah, I think that. I think there'll be similar stories and just different approaches, tactics to how to overcome some of the challenges that coaches face. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be an awesome opportunity just to get around the table, share ideas, share strategies. So, yeah, looking forward to that aspect of it too. Absolutely. Working with some people from other codes, absolutely. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, a lot of our women's national teams, when you look around, uh, the football thirds have got Jitka Klimkova on, so a female coach there. But when you look at other sports like cricket, rugby, hockey, even basketball with Guy Malloy, um, all male coaches. So uh, do you think we're seeing this change? Do you think it's important for women's sports teams to have women's coaches or just the best person for the job? Or both? I think it's important important to have the best person for the job but there are also opportunities and platforms where you can get get women involved and I guess that's a focus of high performance sport New Zealand is to just grow uh, the capabilities amongst women so that they can sit at the tables and be more represented whether that be in strategic leadership um, positions you know on boards mm-hmm. or coming through in the coaching realm so you know it's just an initiative that's that's gone back a few years now and um, I do believe best coach for the job, but you know you can also utilise some strengths of the the women and the broader staff if necessary. 
Yeah, of course, you're coach of the Waikato Wizards and they were going damn good, weren't they, in the NBL this year? But then <laughs> COVID came along, uh, finished the season <laughs> early. So how are things looking for 2022? Um, they're looking actually at restructuring, so not too sure how the 2022 season will pan out um, in terms of number of teams in the in the league. Um, but I think looking towards June, July, August, around that time frame for a women's competition to tick off again. Yeah, and it looks like the NBL have struck a great deal with Sky Sports. So the game here in New Zealand but of basketball is just going from strength to strength. How important is that new deal? Yeah, the deal is important. The media coverage is important for us, but I think there needs to be a good balance too and sometimes the windows for us to utilise um, the strength of our players. We've got a lot in the States at the moment, yeah. um, some in Europe. So we just need to try and get that balance right and have key players back in the country able to participate in their provinces so that we can lift the level here and, and put out the best product we can for the media. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fine balancing act, but definitely... Um, you know, huge for the sport to have great media coverage. Yeah, and you mentioned your daughters, Charlize and Crystal. Um, yeah, what, what's that like, you know, especially coaching your kids, but it's not at, like, grassroots level, it's it's at national level, it's at provincial level, you know, in the main comp. So, you know, coaching them as kids, is it different to coaching them as adults in a kind of high-pressure environment? Nah, I used to yell at them as kids and I still yell at them now, so no, no, it's fun um, just watching them, you know, develop and progress. They're actually playing now and yeah. and um, <clears throat> doing quite well, so playing for Washington State. So it's awesome that they're, they're playing together for a couple of reasons, you know, especially with the pandemic, knowing that they had each other overseas and we couldn't necessarily get there if anything went wrong and vice versa, they can't get home easily so you know neat progression to watch them as as youngsters and to continue coaching them as they get into adulthood yeah, so they'll teach me a lot actually oh, with cool. the experiences they bring back and um you know first ones to to say mum you should have done this or mum you should have done that so pretty uh, robust discussions after games you oh. know when we're, when we're debriefing i love that keeping everyone honest around the dinner table about the game yeah, and when you everyone, mentioned yeah yep. When you mentioned they're playing right now, they're literally on the court right now, aren't they, against uh, San Francisco Dons for Washington Washington State University. How are they going? They are. They're two points down, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's a, it's a good game, pretty competitive. Um, just nice to see, you know, good good female, good, good women's um, basketball being played for some opportunity. And, you know, we've got a lot of kids over in the States at the moment, and Every, t- every chance we get to see them, it's, it's just exciting and, you know, motivating for the, the next generation coming through. Yeah, and just on each of them, I mean, Crystal, is she fourth or fifth year now university? What's kind of next for her? This is, so she's doing a master's. She graduated with her um, degree last year and into her master's. So this is her fifth and final year because of the COVID. They got that extra year. Um, so she stayed on and, and Charlie's is in her second year over there. Yeah, Charlize, man, she was just making headlines last year, just took the whole Pac-12 by storm, really, didn't she? How does she cope with that kind of rise and, and stardom? Um, she takes it in her stride. Like, she's pretty humble. She she just goes about each day, you know, it doesn't get to her head or anything. I guess her sister would pull her in line if necessary yeah. if she needed, but... 
Yeah, she just takes it in her stride. Um, lots of pressure on, obviously, having such a good season. So she's going to really have to step up and perform. She will be scouted a lot more heavily because teams do know her. Um, so hopefully, you know, she just gets back to the drawing board and, and every game is a new challenge and she just continues to try and elevate her game. Be good for her, but we need it. We need it in New Zealand too. And, and not just Charlie's, our other... Um, athletes are, who are in professional leagues or, or playing in the States. We just need them to continue to elevate their game. We're getting more competitive on the international scene, but you know all of these experiences added, add to that. Yeah, and it would help if we could get another player, I guess, into the WNBA. We've only had one uh, former teammate of yours, so what's the prospects, do you think, of, of getting another Kiwi into the WNBA and one of them being your daughter's? Um, you know, I think there are a couple of kids out there that could potentially put their hand up. We, we did have a few that have been to the pre-season camps, um, you know, Kalani Purcell and her time, but we've got Tara Reid over there. Um, she's playing some great basketball and other players, you know, we've got we've got a growing horde of them um, <laughs> doing well for the universities. But um, when it comes to, say, Charlie, so I know people have talked about her potentially getting there. Yes, that might be a long-term focus, but she's just got to take you know, each step as it goes, each year as it goes, and, and like I said before, just try and eleva- elevate her game. She's in a great conference, plays against some of the best players in, in the country, so hopefully it sets her up to be able to have a crack at it, to have a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah she is fun to watch. Um, absolutely one of the best guards going around in the Pac-12, and which leads me to the Leanne Walker, the final question. Are there any more Ledger Walkers? in the basketball production line. We've seen two of them playing for Washington State University, so are there any more? There is one more. She's 15 uh, years old, Tanika Ledger-Walker. Um, and, yeah, she's, she's a pretty handy basketballer. Um, thinks, thinks she knows more than me sometimes <laughs> on the bench. Um, again, you know, those conversations. Sometimes you can't tell her stuff, but, no, nah, she, she's got a good brain for the game. She's been on the bench with me since she was probably four or five doing my stats. I do remember a game where we were playing Auckland in the WBC, Crystal and Charlie's were playing and Tanika was sitting beside me doing my stats and Auckland got a bit of a run on and she nudges me with her elbow and goes, well, are you going to call the timeout? And I went, she's all of about eight. And I'm like, are you serious? And she goes, uh, they've just scored seven points in a row, mum. And so, and in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, I probably should call a timeout. But you know what? I'm not just because you said I should. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, what 15-year-old doesn't think that they know everything in the world as well? So, no, that's really exciting. It's been great having you on the show this morning. Leanne, really appreciate your time. No, thank you for talking to us. Anytime. Have a great day, you guys. Yeah, you too. You too. Leanne Walker there, a Tall Ferns legend and one of the real good upcoming coaches uh, in New Zealand. A lot of women's coaches are coming through and it's great this initiative that High Performance Sport New Zealand have got going on with their second intake of coaches and just developing them just so that we have more female voices I think at the top of New Zealand women's sport. I think it's very much needed and what else is needed is your texts and calls and we'll come back with them after the break. And the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11 minutes to 10 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. And do we have you back, Smithy? Well, I hope so, John. It's, uh, been, it's been an absolute nightmare. Um, but I have uh, been very pleased to be... I can he- I've been out of here. 
uh, but not communicate. So uh, fantastic interviews uh, with Stephen Bock uh, and with Leanne Walker. I really enjoyed them. So uh, you came off the bench with ease, mate. Just uh, just like getting back on the bike. Absolutely yeah. perfect display. So uh, And we've got some good texts coming as well um, on Bocky's issues as well. Well, blow me down. We do have a decent cricket pundit in this country. Uh, hashtag thank God. Next thing he will be saying, try to get those strike rates up from to 50 from 30 in the first test. Uh, get Stephen Bock and the coaching staff. What a great listen. Uh, hi, JD. Good chat with Bocky. Sure didn't hold back, I think. He made some good points. Uh, he could be a spinner mentor, uh, a spinner with more aggressive field sets and playing with more of a positive mindset in general. Uh, cheers, Jared. So, uh, yeah, um, he, he was uh, quite animated about the whole deal, quite passionate about it and, and um, rowing in, uh, along sort of the same lines that I've sort of been coming at that we probably missed a, we missed a trick. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't really expecting that. He's like quite a mild-mannered man, I thought, normally Stephen Bott, but came in hot. And what did you make of his point about, you know, we've got so many coaches in the staff these days, Smithy. Why, when you're going to India and you've got three spinners, why wouldn't you have a spinning mentor in your coaching staff? I don't know. I seriously don't know. I mean, uh, whether it's a financial thing or, or I don't know, but, you know, certainly you're looking at, um, if you're going to try and win the test match over there, spin has to contribute a heck of a lot. Uh, and so therefore, you, you need to have experts on the ground over there, even if you just second. You could even second someone uh, from India uh, to join the group, the way Jet and Patel joins India, um, the way people uh, from other countries are seconded into coach from other countries. It's, it's just not uh, a case of being patriotic and faithful. It's getting the right man to do the right job in the right place. And it, it, it does baffle me a wee bit. I mean, we've just got to get more revolutions on the cricket ball. That's what I, how the way I see it. We've got to get more variations in the way we bowl, but we've got to get the ball biting into the pitch surface. That is how you get uh, unpredictable turn and bounce and create opportunities around the bat. Uh, we, we tend to bowl the ball, roll the ball, some of our guys roll the ball down the pitch. We've got to bite it into the pitch surface. Um, and, and you know, be really aggressive with your hand action. Um, and I, that's only from standing behind the stumps watching spin bowlers come towards you or, or batting and hearing it. I mean, the Abdul Qadir, fantastic league spin bowler for Pakistan, on a nice still day, you could hear it coming. You could hear it fizzing through the air as it came at you. Uh, it was quite intriguing, but uh, that's how many revolutions were biting through the air. Um, and that's what we've got to get our kids doing. We've got to get our aggressive hand actions, and then after that, you get your variations where you bowl it out of the back of your hand, you bowl it out the side of one, one finger as opposed to the other side. Uh, and, and, that, and that's the way you sort of create that kind of doubt. We come up with spinners like that, we have got the complete package because everything else in our game is pretty damn well sorted. Yep, no, you're completely right, Smithy. Uh, we've got your multi coming up, and don't worry, folks, you haven't missed it. We will have your sermon, won't we, Smithy? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a very passionate sermon this morning. It's, it's not a subject that uh, a lot of people will be aware about, uh, but something that happened very special in Hawke's Bay yesterday and, um, and, and a couple of tributes uh, as to well, what's coming up and, and a plea for Kane Williamson to win the toss. A plea. Uh, that's coming up very shortly, folks, here on SENZ. Sorry for joining you so late. Hey, and by the way, Auckland, welcome to Freedom Day. Welcome to Freedom Day. Absolutely, so chuffed for you guys. I, I see you didn't muck around. Uh, one minute past midnight, the doors flung open on a few <laughs> hot spots around town. Uh, I understand Trudy was uh, first in line. Fantastic. <laughs> 9.53 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Uh, yesterday was a bit like my studio for the first 50 minutes. A complete malfunction and no good at all with the Atlanta Hawks knocking over the Indiana Pacers. Uh, and that put us to bed very quickly uh, in the day. So today uh, we will go for the weekend one. Uh, and we'll go the Phoenix uh, tonight. We'll put faith in the Phoenix to beat the West Sydney Warriors at uh, Wanderers at uh, $2.30. So the Phoenix to win tonight. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys this afternoon to beat the New Orleans Saints uh, with a point start of minus 6.5. So uh, they have to win by 7. Um, and that's a buck 87. Uh, over the weekend, Chelsea will beat West Ham, hopefully at $1.67. And Liverpool will beat the Wolves at uh, $1.40. 10.05. 10.05, not a bad result for the weekend if it gets up. News with Trudy shortly, uh, and then we'll have the sermon, and then uh, we'll talk to Mull, Andrew Mulligan, Freighters in action this weekend. or night, summer or winter. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sport is our religion and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, away from the bright lights and the cameras of Sky Sport and associated accredited media outlets, one of the most intense rivalries in sport was played out at the pristine Hastings Golf Course yesterday. Uh, this runs deeper than United vs City, Celtic and Rangers, although along the same lines, even more so than the All Blacks and the Box. In golfing terms, it makes the Ryder Cup and the Shambo vs Kepka look like a lover's tiff. It's the Greens vs the Blues. And they are a gnarly bunch, the Greens, boasting rather revolting green and white striped tops with their names emblazoned on the sleeves. Well, yesterday they were a bitter, insipid group, humbled, reduced to rubble by a powerful United Blues Brigade. Institutional names like Patton and Mackie, Kachopoli, Russell, Freer, Dugout, Dooney, Burke, Bauer and Jones were a sorry sight weeping openly into their post-match bitter-tasting beverages. The Blues, of course, a more balanced unit, far less emotional, due clearly to a less troubled upbringing, were gracious in victory, ignoring the pleas of the non-playing captain Padman to stick it up them. Captain Sanders, the Cullens 1 and 2, Mudgeway, Lyndon McIntyre and the baby-faced assassin Shaw were prominent overcoming the early poor performance of a stumbling general and an errant Moffat. Major disappointments, quite frankly. Now then, let the 364 days of bragging rights begin. It's going to be a lovely year. And win, lose or draw, what a special night to celebrate too for the women's Phoenix. They're creating history tonight, uh, this young bunch of girls with a special opportunity. It's going to be tough for them. But let's just celebrate that they're out there. It's such a step forward for women's football and women's sport. And meanwhile in Mumbai at the Wankiti, all eyes will be on the centre at 4.30 New Zealand time. Can Captain Kane call correctly? Please can he? Please can the Black Caps get the early benefit 
of the red clay surface before it turns to mush. It's been a hell of a year. They've proven they're the best. Now let them play like it. Dominate. Don't sit back. See an opening and plough on through. History and glory beckons as does another chance to pop the corks. Success is so sweet. Defeat a bitter pull. Revenge a dish best served cold. But who in this world really wants to gloat on this fantastic Friday? Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble When you're perfect in every way I can't wait to look in the mirror Cause I get better looking each day To know me is to love me I must be a hell of a man Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble But I'm doing the best that I can Okay, fun over Business at hand tonight is uh, the breakers, of course, and uh, really, in fact, tomorrow night, it's, it's been a hell of a, a build-up for them. In fact, it was going pretty well, uh, and then they got riddled with COVID, including their head coach, uh, Dan Shamir. Uh, he won't be with the team tomorrow, but joining us now to preview the action is Sky Sports uh, Breakers commentator, Andrew Mulligan. Mull, good morning to you. Uh, it was all going along so nicely, wasn't it? It certainly was. They were tracking really well, Smitty. Uh, and then it just, I, I don't know what it is. This, this franchise cursed. I just feel as though they just don't get a fair, fair shake uh, when it comes to being uh, part of the, the NBL. But um, they, they faced much worse uh, when it comes to um, adversity in this respect. Um, everyone's getting back on the horse. The thing is with COVID, Smitty, is that uh, with athletes and being double vaccinated, uh, None of them had to be uh, hospitalised. I think one person was hospitalised before observation. I don't know, and no one said if it was a player or a staff member or part of the travelling group. But COVID can really affect you in so many different ways. And these guys being professional athletes, I don't know how much it's really eaten into their their cardio, their their match fitness, their legs. They played some pre-season games. They won two of their three. They look really good. But what will their aerobic capacity be like? What will they be like down the stretch in the fourth quarter? Will they be in the game against the South East Melbourne Phoenix, who they beat at the buzzer of a Finn Delaney back shot in pre-season? That is a real question mark um, about this game coming up tomorrow night at 10pm on Sky. So who will be running the Carter Court side? Uh, we're told it, there will be no Dan Shamir, and we really don't know, uh, I guess, until they, they name their lineup, who's been affected and who hasn't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Modi Moir is the uh, is the uh, foil to Dan Shamir's very direct, take no prisoners, no BS style of coaching. If you're not playing well, if you're not running his system, you will sit and you will not see the light of day, maybe for weeks. That happened last season. Uh, guys just buried on the bench. So Modi Moir is his foil. He is... Uh, hyperactive. He gets warned multiple times by the referees not to get up on, on the sideline. He's basically supposed to sit and not remonstrate, but he is up. He is all over the show. He may not last the whole game, Smithy. He may get ejected. He may get chucked out. So I'm not too sure what is going to... It's going to be absolute pantomime on the sideline with Modi. I love his energy. He's great for the team. Because when Dan Shamir is this direct coach or authoritarian style, what they're a Terran style. He will uh, use Modi to be the consoling guy. He'll go and sit with the player. 
put his arm around them. He'll tell them that he's the best. He'll tell them that he'll bounce back. So it'll be fun to watch this on the sideline alone, let alone the game. Well, we will not have Tom Abercrombie. We know that. Uh, he's been a match winner in the past. So much experience there, an absolute leader, uh, which means uh, we're looking at the likes of uh, Finn Delaney to step up uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, Finn Delaney uh, w- would have stepped up no matter what. He has uh, a great uh, rivalry with Mitch Creek. Both of them are friends off the court, the South East Melbourne star. They both uh, went to the NBA Summer League a couple of years ago before COVID ruined everything. They know each other very well. Finn Delaney is, uh, is a star uh, for this Breakers team. But Tom Abercrombie is an absolute club stalwart. He's a club man. And uh, recent seasons, uh, Dan Shamir has used him as his primary defender on smaller guards, much um, much smaller perimeter players, shooters. And so the, the defensive presence of Tom Abercrombie alone will be hard to... Hard to pick up for this Breakers team. They've got a couple of young players, the French um, French kids of Hugo Besson and Usman Deng, and uh, they are going to get uh, a rude awakening, I think, to this league. It's quite physical. They're very smooth players. They're very uh, intelligent players for their age. But this is a man's league. This is, a, as they say, a no-cupcake league. And uh, I have seen young kids come and go and get eaten alive in the NBL who have uh, gone on to bigger and better things in the NBA. Uh, so Findelady and the young French wings with uh, Jeremiah Martin, the NBA, uh, NBA edition, and Peyton Seaver, who is a young, who is an old point guard but a, a short point guard. So he's going to find it hard to run this team without uh, Tom Abercrombie and his ear helping him out. Okay, let's tell us, uh, tell us a wee bit about uh, Mel, please, the, the South East Melbourne as first up opponents. Yeah, South East Melbourne are really well coached. Simon Mitchell, this is their, I believe it's their third season off the top of my head. I'm just, um, they made the playoffs last year. They're very good uh, in terms of listening to Simon Mitchell. He's a very good coach. He's come from the Melbourne United setup uh, under Dean Vickerman, of course, former Breakers coach. And South East Melbourne, they've got a lot of size. It's really hard to get a gauge when you come into a league again and again, when you change out your imports, who is going to step up. Uh, but Mitch Creek, he had uh, a, a tumultuous season off the court. He was up in some uh, horrific domestic violence allegations. Uh, they were thrown out. It really affected his play. Uh, and he is, uh, he's probably going to have a real bounce-back season once he's put that all behind him. But he's also got the, uh, the experience of Ryan Brokoff, um, who is also a player in the Australian setup, who had come from the NBA uh, setup as well. Last season, in the second half of last season, he had to isolate. His legs weren't really underneath him. He, they didn't get much of a run, but he's had this preseason, uh, and that is a one-two punch. And so, when you've got that, and you've got some imports coming in as well, you just don't know what you're going to get with the imports. But you can lean on these guys who know the league inside out, and that's what the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix uh, will bring. And I just think that uh, for the Breakers, who looked really good against them for large sways, and just to be able to have the, um, the wherewithal and the, uh, the, the presence to stay in the game. And really, it was a Hail Mary uh, shot by Finn Delaney. If you haven't seen it, it was uh, 2.2 seconds to go. He catches, I think it was 1.7, actually. He catches, he's got two defenders flying either side of him. They don't want to foul him, obviously. He banks it high off the glass. It's a rather acute angle for a bank shot off the backboard and swishes it over. He just walks off. So uh, 
I don't know if there'll be drama like that, but I, it'll be it'll be a hard game for the breakers uh, to hang in for when they've come in off this COVID scare. Interesting, Mo. Um, you're going to be calling it again this year. You've been doing this gig for a long time now, but no Webster's to call uh, this time around, and particularly um, I associate the, the the Webster name with uh, with COVID really. And here it's raised its ugly head, uh, and they're not around. Yeah, they, they are. Ty Webster said he didn't want to get vaccinated, then popped up in the Lithuanian League, presumably double vaccinated, uh, and getting paid probably twice as much. Uh, Corey Webster's, uh, he's currently overseas. I think he's in Egypt. Uh, he is. He has some firm belief on uh, vaccinations and, and uh, what he doesn't want to get. Uh, and his social media is quite uh, divisive for a lot of people. Um, I've certainly had my run-ins with Corey about vaccinations and COVID, and I think the breakers are better off not having them around in this season. Um, I think it's a blessing in disguise. Just on the court, they are superb players. I don't want to take away from what they are as players. I have a, a deep love and respect for their game. They are exciting to call. I love watching them play, but they're ball-dominant guys. They are guys who need the ball in their hands all the time. And sometimes last season... Uh, that ball didn't move, and that was mainly because they needed them. They had all sorts of injuries, fatigue took its toll. They were getting shipped around crappy places like Launceston and Tasmania, which they hated. They were playing in a dark gym. It was cold. They had, they had basketball hoops forged from the Steel Age, the, the Iron Age. Um, it just looked dreadful. And the Tasmanian fans, they were supposed to adopt the team, they ended up booing them, Smithy. They, they thought, oh, they're the New Zealand team. We're going for the Aussie team. They ended up booing them. And for not to have the Websters, I think is a little bit of a blessing in disguise for this Breakers team. I really do. Uh, the ball should move more. Peyton Seaver is a true point guard. Jeremiah Martin is a two-way player. He plays really good defense. He can shoot the ball. I want to see Peyton Seaver um, stamp his mark on this team at the point guard role when he gets the opportunity as well. From the outside looking in, and uh, since Matt, Matt Walsh is in the uh, the conglomerate of uh, taken over from Liz and Paul Blackwell, uh, have you noticed anything different uh, so much about the club? Uh, I think I think the main thing what happened was is that people associated Matt Walsh with being a brash American, highly opinionated, didn't want to really um, look back at the history of what the Black Clouds had superbly built along with Andre Lomanis and Richard Clark and the, the veteran core that they assembled with the likes of Nick of the Kona, Dylan Boucher, CJ Bruce and Kirk Penny and those great imports of Gary Wilkinson and Cedric, um, Cedric Jackson. I think, I think people didn't really give Matt Walsh a chance. And Matt Walsh has done a superb job with his ownership group of bringing in highly, highly scout, highly touted uh, rookies for, who are part of the Next Stars program. You just have to look at RJ Hampton and the guys they've got in now, these two French kids, um, are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you've got Prince Singh coming in, who's arguably the best player to come out of India ever. Um, he won't get a lot of game time, but what they've done is they've turned this club into an entertainment entity. And once they come back to Spark Arena... Uh, you forget how entertaining going to an NBL game is in downtown Auckland. It truly is a fantastic product. It's an NBA light product. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of the young fans really will compare it to the NBA and go, oh, they're just trying to be like this. You look at their pink uniform, they're trying to be like the Miami Heat. 
Well, so what? It's all about the product and what they try to provide, not just TV, but more importantly for a fan base, we probably still hang on to those four championships that this team won. They're slowly coming to the realisation that times have changed, times have moved on, the league has moved on since the Breakers won those championships. It's a much better, much harder, much faster league compared to the defensive grind that you saw uh, 10, five years ago. The league has moved on and the Breakers are at the forefront of that and they're constantly battling the league in terms of just being a New Zealand team and an Aussie league and they certainly, I think, underline toners, they don't want the Breakers to win again because they need Sydney and the Melbourne clubs to be the premier clubs and Perth and the Breakers kept ruining those for over a decade. Interesting. Uh, really interesting, Mo. Thanks for that insight. So look forward to tip off and your call uh, tomorrow night on Sky Sport. Thanks very much for your time this morning, mate. Thanks, Millie. Love your work. Cheers, Brent. Yeah, yeah cheers, uh, Andrew Mulligan there. Uh, very, very insightful too, wasn't he, um, on all those issues surrounding the club, the new players, etc. cetera. Uh, very um, uh, outspoken too about uh, the Webster scenario, I, I think. Uh, clean sheet here. Uh, you look at all the new names, new names coming in. Relatively clean sheet. For uh, those uh, really exciting uh, French stars uh, and those uh, former NBA players too. Uh, I got high hopes, and of course um, you mentioned the Perth Wildcats there, and uh, guess who owns those? Our boss. Uh, <laughs> that's a really a franchise. Of, if, if it's not the Breakers for us, uh, it's got to be the Perth Wildcats. So let's shut out Sydney and Melbourne. Wouldn't that be fantastic? That is ten eighteen here on SENZ uh, when we return. A panel today consisting of uh, Jordan Oppett. Uh, from way down south and Jeff McTainch from up north. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's a good morning to Jordan Oppett and uh, Jeff McTainch on the panel this morning. And uh, Jeff, uh, I, I guess with... Uh, the women's Phoenix getting underway. Uh, the A League certainly is underway. The break is getting underway. Still a lot of focus on sport, um, particularly on, on Sky Sport as well. But uh, I still tend to think the Black Caps will be centre stage here um, with uh, another opportunity to make a bit of history. Mate, uh, and good morning to you and Ed Gordon and listeners. Um, look, I, I know we've made three World Cup finals since 2015 and, and the World Test Championship under the belt, but. For me, and I'm sure you too, being a, a, a cricket romantic, like it's these statistics, these moments, these test matches that, to me as a fan, matter the most. You know, we haven't won in India since 1988, and um, and we're going to try and increase that unbeaten streak. Um, I just want to just get your thoughts, mate, if you can turn your attention back to, to that test match in '88, um, and just what your feelings were, because I know you know Richard Hadley took 10 wickets, you had a 50 in the second innings. Um, and, and I guess that points to the fact that we had seamers that did the job, but what were your memories, mate, if I can just uh, indulge you for a moment on, on that test? Yeah, well, we won nil down in the series, so, uh, you know, it was a situation where uh, we, we were trying to, you know, stay alive, really, uh, and, and it wasn't, uh, I'll be honest, it wasn't not perhaps the, the greatest Indian side that they've ever fielded, but neither is this one, um, you know, and I've had a lot of, uh, Coley comes back into it, so there are quite a lot of similarities here. Uh, we, we had to rely on, on um, Sir Richard Hadley to, to do the damage in the first innings, but the real um, memory for me was John Bracewell's contribution, uh, mm. Jeff, throughout that test match. Uh, he outbowled the Indian spinners. Uh, he, he played beautifully with the bat, 
Uh, he was aggressive. He was everything we, uh, we didn't see from our spinners uh, in that first test match. So for me, that is the key. We've got to match them. We've got to have a guy in the slow bowling department who's going to make use of wear and tear, but really spin it and really take it at them. I didn't see that in the first test, Jeff, and that's what I need to see this time round for me. Yeah, just quickly, I think Neil Wagner would be a good option. I think um, some of it didn't take a didn't take a wicket. I think you keep the tell, but Neil doesn't just give you um, you know uh, a fine bowling option. His accuracy, he's got a great effort ball. He generates bounce seemingly on any wicket. Um, for a, a slightly shorter guy, but it's the aggression and the heart that, that he gives you. So I think, I think we have to back ourselves here and be like, look, we're the world champions. Um, we need to mm. uh, to front up with that attitude and go, look, we're playing Neil Wagner. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that regard. Now, Jordan, uh, welcome in uh, this morning. Uh, if you've got any good wishes and if you've got any sort of zen qualities about you, can you get inside Kane Williamson's head and get him to win a bloody toss? That would be nice. <laughs> I wish I could. I think you've got a better chance, to be honest. A much better chance. But, yeah, I'm actually fizzing. I was listening to your interview with Sir Richard yesterday, and, I mean, that was one way to get fizzed up about it even more. And, you know, when he said, for this side to be the greatest of all time, they need that win over there. And I think, it, as we, you guys just both mentioned, it comes down to belief, doesn't it? And I think the Black Caps at the moment have that in spades. I mean, the Wagner debate, I think it's a great problem to have. Um, you know, competition on the side is healthy. You've got people nipping at your heels all the time. I mean, Rutschman in the last test um, was phenomenal, and I just think, it's, yeah, it's a great argument to have there. And, you know, what, what a shame that the selectors have, have these options, right, to, to pick who they like. Um, but, yeah, I'm going with Wagner as well. I mean, he'd be my pick of the bunch. But I'm inter- interested to see which way the selectors go. Yeah. I am too. I, I kind of feel, here's a, a theory for me, if they play Wagner, I think they're obliged to play Somerville. The reason why uh, is because mm-hmm. Wagner will w- run down the pitch on one side and that'll be the side where the right-handers will find it awkward if they've got the ball somewhat turning back into them. So I think uh, mm-hmm. if you play Wagner, you play Somerville. If you don't play Wagner, you can leave Somerville out. Um, that, that would be my theory from this far away. Uh, anyway, Jordan, um, aside from the cricket, uh, what a night um, coming up for the, the Women's Phoenix team. What, what a step forward this is. Uh, an all-female coaching panel as well. Uh, gee, uh, uh, women's football is a real forerunner, isn't it, for women's sport at the moment? Oh, 100%. And I think it's that you can't see what you can't be, right? And Gemma Lewis and Natalie Lawrence are one of the only you know, women coaching lineups in the A-League. And good on New Zealand football for being ballsy and doing that. I mean, I am someone who's always thought the best person for the job should get the job, no matter your gender. But I think this does reflect that because their CVs are blooming impressive. And I think the other thing is that, you know, this is a young Phoenix women's team. I mean, the bulk of them are, you know, between 18 and 22, is it? So there's got to be huge advantages to having women in charge of that. You know, it's a crucial... um, it's a crucial stage for a young woman's life. I mean, in terms of your career, 18, you're leaving school thinking, what's next? Relationships, becoming adults, all these things. And you've got to get that right to be able to put a good team, you know, have a team together and perform. I think all that outside stuff majorly plays into it. So, yeah, all I have to say is, yeah, the girls, go the girls. And um, good on NCIS as well for getting them behind them yesterday because that'll give them the confidence they need. It must have been pretty rough, you know, thinking, well, why is it no one wanting to back up? So I hope that's given them the fire in their bellies to, to charge on. 
Yep, and if I look at the odds too, the $10 outsiders, that might give them a, a little bit of an incentive as well. Please stay, uh, please you too, uh, Jordan and Jeff, please stay with us. A short news break here, and we'll be back with a couple more topics. Thank you. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, Jordan Oppert with us this morning, and uh, Jeff McTainch. And Jeff, uh, the breakers kick in the gear. We've just been speaking to Mull about it. Of course, he'll be commentating on it. But uh, gee, yeah, they've had some they've had some things to overcome in the in the last year or two, haven't they? Uh, what are your expectations for the breakers this year? Yeah, they haven't been to the semi-finals, have they, mate, for a, for a few years now, and uh, been a tough couple of campaigns. I think you do have to factor in the travel aspect, as we do with uh, with all of our teams that play um, in the, in the cross Tasman format, the Warriors, the Phoenix, and, and so on. Um, so it has been a tough time, but uh, particularly so ahead of uh, this campaign uh, under extraordinary circumstances. Obviously, their coach Dan Shamir uh, came down with COVID. Um, so too uh, the owner Matt Walsh and, and a couple of their key players too. So, look, not ideal ahead of that uh, opening game of the campaign against South East Melbourne. Um, but I think there's enough talent in that squad that the Breakers will be competitive. Um, whether or not they have, the, I guess, the, the kingpin that they've had in, in past seasons gone by when they went on to win their, win their titles, um, I'm not sure. But uh, it's these situations, these sort of seasons can galvanise teams. Um, but certainly not the ideal way to start. Look, Matt Walsh was pretty sympathetic to the to the league in terms of uh, the fact that they wanted to press on with it and, and get going. Um, and, and as I say, it might it might be the kind of backs against the wall stuff that, that gets the breakers up. But um, not having your coach uh, foreside courtside is um, is an ideal first up. No, it's not, Jeff. Um, Jordan, one of the things that I like looking forward to at the start of uh, any basketball season is the new players on the squad. Here we've got two Frenchmen, we've got two Americans, and uh, we've got an Indian in the squad as well. Uh, it's a real United Nations sort of, uh, with, um, uh, w- with a coach from Turkey. So it's the kind of all United Nations all of a sudden, this Phoenix group. Oh, sorry, yeah, the they breakers, are so. like that. And it, yeah, um, they are like that. And I guess, like, I've had goosebumps watching that Unbreakable trailer um, every time I watch it. Like, they, there is something about that team, and I think there's, there's something to be learned for a lot of sports teams by watching the Breakers and the way they do bring people together and the way they've managed to sort of ride out the challenges they've had because, you know, they've had their fifth year and more at the moment, but they never sulk. They just kind of get on with it and put it in their stride. I was reading an article before where Finn Delaney's like, this is a beautiful thing, the situation they're in. But... He's that kind of character, you know, that does bring people together. But the idea that they're kind of just taking it in their stride and pushing forward, I mean, and they'll have some confidence in the fact that their two uh, preseason hit-outs, they got back-to-back wins. So that's, that's a good start. Um, and I actually can't wait for the full team to come together. And as you say, some of those new ones might get a chance a bit sooner than they expected um, should the players sit out any longer. Uh, Jeff, uh, Rugby Ward nominations uh, coming out, of course. Uh, in the, the last day or so, uh, All Black Player of the Year, the four nominees, Jordi Barrett, Rico Ioani, Will Jordan, Adi Savia. So no one um, uh, up front in the engine room as such. Uh, who would you be your pick of those four? Mate, I, I, just, I have to say it's got to be Will Jordan. I know that those other, other players have had fantastic seasons, but when you're scoring tries at the rate at which he's doing, and I know that... Um, that the Northern Tour probably didn't finish the way he wanted in terms of seeing the ball he wanted, but 
the kid is extraordinary. He's he's manufacturing tries himself. He's 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 doing it at the end of the, the end of the chain, um, and um, I think it's probably a wake up call for that forward pack that there's no nominees there um, uh, in the tight five. But uh, I, I think you know Will Jordan is just he's he's been unbelievable, and I think it was a question posed the other day on social media as to who the who the next person would be to, to, or who the next person to crack Doug Howlett's try-scoring record for the All Blacks would be, and, and uh, Will Jordan's name was in there, Bowden Barrett's, uh, Rico Ioane, but gee, you've got to think, like when that kid's career is finished up in the black jersey, there's going to be a st- staggering number next to his name. Mm. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Do you know uh, any No, no, uh, I, I don't. Um, Jordan, enlighten me. <laughs> Well, actually, I just shot this up in the foot because I just realised it's actually Nelson, isn't it? But um, Canterbury... No, it is Christchurch. It's close to the Marcos, but it is Canterbury. I'm right. Christchurch. No surprises there, right? Uh, no surprises there. So I'll go through a list and you can uh, just say yes or no uh, for me then, Jordan. Um, okay. uh, ASB National, Co- National Coach of the Year, uh, Neil Barnes, Taranaki, Ross Filippo, Waikato, James Semple, Waikato, FP- FPC, Scott Robertson, Crusaders. Oh, see, now I've really put myself in it because I'll go Neil Barnes. Love really? Razor, okay. Neil Barnes. It's got to be this year. It's got to be. Agreed. Okay, so Neil Barnes. Neil Barnes. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, so explain to me, if you can, with your media knowledge and your background knowledge, Jordan, if that's the case, uh, how can Taranaki not be in the National Team of the Year? Uh, nominations: Crusaders, South Canterbury, Waikato FPC, Waikato NPC. Uh, what about the team itself? How did they miss out? Yeah, I mean, you probably need Kimberly Downs for this one. That woman is fired <laughs> up like there's no tomorrow. But um, oh yeah, I can't work it out either. I'm with Kim on that one. I mean, you know me, I back, I back Canterbury or Christchurch. Cows come home, but with Taranaki, I mean, it's, I just can't work it out. Why? Like. This is a strange one, isn't it? Like, if, if, I, if, if I can come in real quick, like, Taranaki went through the season undefeated and uh, their best season since the mid-'80s under Leo Walsh and Graham Murray. And, and for Neil Barnes to to be at the helm of that team, and, and just a fantastic effort. It almost seems like, and I'm not taking anything away from what Waikato achieved in the Premiership, but Taranaki knocked over every heavyweight team in, the, in New Zealand domestic rugby this year. And, and so... It just kind of it makes you wonder as to why. I know I know there's been calls for this to change Smithy and get us all back on the mm. same ladder domestically, but yeah, it's an interesting one. It is an interesting one um, in that regard. I've got to be honest with you. Um, what about this, um, Jeff? Uh, the, it's, it's Freedom Day in Auckland. It's Freedom Day. How are you going to celebrate Freedom Day <laughs> in, up there? What are you going to do, mate, after all this time? Let's be fair. You want to know the truth? Uh, I'm going to celebrate Freedom Day by putting the second coat of paint on uh, the kitchen, um, which I've been <laughs> which I've been tidying up. I might head down to the supermarket, mate, and grab some some cold beers for later on the other. But I, I mean, I'm just I'm glad. Um, I don't know when I'll get to the pub next or out to to a restaurant, but um, hopefully soon. But I, I'm just stoked for small businesses and the business community around Auckland because the real sad part of this pandemic hasn't just been the the, the health side of things. It's been 
this, the, the nature of, of businesses struggling so much with, with uh, not having any patrons and funders through their doors. So really happy for publicans and restaurants to be able to open the doors and, and get a bit of cash flow back ahead of, ahead of Christmas as well because, you know, they'll be able to get things going again and, and then head off for a break with their families and friends around the country and, um, and then sort of rip into 2022. So really, you know, more than anything, happy, happy for them. Happy for them, and, and Jordan, you'll have, uh, of course, you're a, a Canterbury convert now, but we know that you've got Auckland background as well, so um, what, are you hearing, what are you hearing from your former friends and colleagues uh, about Auckland being free? Well, I'm stoked for them, eh? I mean, it's been a long time, 109 days, a little something crazy like that, and I mean, I just know when we came out of lockdown down here, people's spirits actually really did lift. Um, you know, you get a boost from being able to go in and sit down and have your coffee rather than doing a takeaway or going out to get a beer. You really um, underestimate how good those little things are, you know, for your soul. So I'm very, I'm so excited for everyone a couple of weeks out from Christmas, as Jeff said. Um, I think a few of my colleagues have a plan, you know, Abby Wilson said in the morning meeting, right, we're all heading to the pub for lunch. I mean, I wish I could join them. Uh, I'm not sure that they are, but <laughs> what a good idea. But I just want to say, not to take it away from Auckland, Smithy, but we've talked about racing every time, the horses every time I've come on here so far. Rickerton today, uh-huh. got your vaccine passport. It's going to be busy down there. you got dozens of corporate teams down there for their Christmas festival. Like, this is where it starts. Summer has started. Oh, look, I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to get back down. I'm, I'm so sorry I uh, actually never got to meet you in person, but you were just so damn busy uh, chasing uh, celebrities <laughs> around. The, uh, on Cup Day, I, I couldn't get close. Incidentally, if you, could, if you could see now the change, what it's had in, in John Day, John Day has gone from looking like the wild man of Borneo. The wild man of Borneo, this morning he looks like Doogie Howser, MD, I'm telling you. I, I, unrecognisable. So it's just been was an amazing change. Was, was he rocking, Smithy? Did he have a did he have a shaggy dude in a in a big beard? Was he sort of caveman? Hey, Jeff, I look like um, Tom Hanks from Castaway, but no, now I'm very much uh, Tom Hanks from Big. <laughs> Good to hear, mate. He was he put the S in scruffy, mate. I'll tell you that. That's what he did. Okay, uh, hey, look, have a have a great weekend, you two, uh, Jeff. A, a weekend off calling rugby. So uh, enjoy painting. And, and Jordan, uh, enjoy socialising because I know you will be. So there you go. Enjoy the cricket, mate. <laughs> yes, and go the Black Caps as well. Thank you very much for reminding me. Uh, 10.42 here on SENZ. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, text in from uh, Craig saying, I thought maybe all you tech guys had gone to the pub now. Auckland is in the traffic light system and no one's left to get back Smithy on air. Well, it uh, was totally not, totally not the Auckland text, uh, I can tell you, Craig. It was just a, a malfunction down in the Hawke's Bay area overnight. Uh, apparently everything just went at one point and we had to reboot everything. So, uh, no, no blame attached to anything uh, remotely Auckland about that. And they did a great job getting us back up and running so quickly, to be fair. Um, Jared says, uh, love the comment about Abdul Qadir. Hear the ball ripping through the air. No problem about that. Uh, it was absolutely true. Uh, and uh, when, it, when it pitched, it did bite. Uh, I will support my Wellington Phoenix men and women on Friday night, says Michael from Wellington. Good on you, Michael. I know you will. You're Wellington through and through. Uh, and John, here's an interesting one from Carl. You can answer this. Uh, I know it was talked about yesterday about uh, Taranaki missing out on Team of the Year and the Rugby Awards. Why were the women's sevens team not there also? 
Did they not win the Olympic gold, says Carl? They certainly did, Carl, um, but they separated the uh, categories for the New Zealand Rugby Awards a few years ago because it was starting to get awkward because it was going to be Scott Robertson against Ian Foster for Coach of the Year at the New Zealand Rugby Awards, and they thought, oh, this is a bit awkward. Let's separate it out. So you have kind of domestic teams in one pool, so that's where we've got our teams of the year. We've got Waikato men, Waikato women, South Canterbury, and the Crusaders, so they're all local, provincial, and then in the other category for Team of the Year is our national teams of the year. So that's Black Ferns, I don't think they're much chance of winning. All Blacks, don't think they're much chance of winning. The Men's Sevens, who are bloody good, and the Women's Sevens. So they will win that award for Team of the Year, the best national team. Uh, yeah, while the best domestic team in Taranaki not being there, New Zealand Rugby put out a release yesterday, Smithy, saying it's both on and off the field where it comes for Team of the Year, hence why Taranaki oh. are not there. Uh, because remember there was an incident in August involving one Taranaki player, two of their coaching staff and a scuffle at 2.40am in the morning on a Sunday. So that's the reason why Taranaki are not up for Team of the Year. Is that fair? Wow, Uh, that'll create some debate. That will, particularly from uh, people in the Amber and Black province. Uh, I didn't realise that, John. Uh, I just thought it was... um, I just thought it was for how you played on the field and the results you obtained and uh, the way you went about it. But now that brings a whole new uh, thing into uh, the spectrum, doesn't it? Uh, yes, interesting. We'll, we'll mull over that one. Uh, that uh, What are your thoughts on that? Double eight, double three. Get in late, you Taranaki people. You think that's fair? Uh, uh, pe- Premier League results uh, this morning. Tottenham 2, Brentford 0. Yay. Um, and uh, Ricardo Ball, if you're listening, uh, put your heads out the window, you'll hear... Uh, a yelp coming from him as well because Manchester United have just gone ahead of Arsenal 3-2 in the 75th minute. An interesting game in uh, the Serie A this morning. Four-all draw between Lazio and Udinese uh, and uh, three players sent off there. So fireworks in the Serie A. Uh, yeah, we've got to get to uh, Louis Herman Watt. But I, I can tip you into something, folks. If you haven't, uh, if you've got Netflix and you want something to do over the weekend, if the weather's not great or whatever, uh, there's a series called Bad Sports. Bad sports, I, uh, I suggest uh, you want to watch it. And uh, it's all about corruption and uh, things that have gone wrong in sport uh, over the years with high-profile sportsmen, uh, match-fixing, etc. Uh, the very first episode is about a bloke called Headache Smith who could have been anything, anything in the NBA, but got it wrong at the college level. Uh, right through until the last episode is about Hansi Cronier and the revelations about that. So look out for that one on Netflix. Bad sports. It's 10.51 here on SENZ. And good sports coming up shortly, including Louis Herman Watt. We're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt with us, an exciting two days of racing ahead, uh, of course, tomorrow, the big meetings. But uh, first of all, there's a little business of Rickerton Park, uh, and there might be a bit of a party there today, Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw um, Tim Mills was saying that they've got hospitality Christmas at the races on track, running through the traffic light system, so all double-vaxxed people will be absolutely living it up on track, um, getting their punt on. It's going to be awesome for turnover down there, great atmosphere. And the cards are actually super. Uh, race 2, there's an awesome rating 74. Harborside's a really strong horse for Terry Ray. Um, Island Hops and going well for Andrew Carston. Yeah, it's fair. Bronte Beach for Marshy as well. Race 6, I reckon I've got a bet as well. Twin Shot, 4, 6 
four dollars, a dollar sixty. I think the dollar sixty is a really good bet. Could could potentially after a little bit of a spell. It's hard to know actually how it's going to go with a little bit of a spell. I think it, people might be kind of a bit wary after its failure last start, but that was on the backup and also on a soft track over a couple weeks. I think a little bit of a freshen up back to twelve hundred meters. Um, yeah, not an issue at all. Twin shot in race six, Smithy, and then this weekend, as you point out, mate. What an mm. absolute mm. rip snorter we have at uh, Trenton. Race 8, the Captain Cook Stakes. I've been through it all this morning with Baz. I just think it's such a fascinating group one, the way it stacks up. I mean, is Aegon just going to be too good? You could, he could be, and I, and I won't be surprised. But at the same time, maybe he's just not, not winning the way he was, and maybe he is just out of form. Back in class, though, against the New Zealand group one horses, completely different story. So that's fascinating. In race 4, They've got the awesome Wakefield Challenge Stakes. It's a two-year-old race, and there are some proper gallopers in here. Kana, Wolverine, Think Twice, Gibraltar Rising. Loving it, Smithy. Yeah, uh, Anthony, have you you've sorted one out then? Uh, um, uh, have you sorted one out then under Captain Cook? Uh, have, you, have you played? Have you played yet? I haven't played, but I will say that Tua Illicit deserves to be the favourite. She's flying. She's a good, good mare, and she deserves it with a good barrier, top jock. She deserves to be the favourite. Okay, um, let's. Uh, you're standing in for the TAB too, by the way. Um, we can't get through them at the moment. So uh, here, here's an interesting scenario: uh, New Zealand versus India in the cricket. Louis, work, this, work us through this one at the moment. India are a buck fifty-five. We could have won that last uh, one. I, I keep harping on about that. You're probably sick of it, but we could have won that. The no, draw no, three sixty-five on New, New Zealand five forty-five. No, New Zealand five forty-five. Before you hold on it, yeah. Um, I wonder what the odds will be if New Zealand win the toss. Silly, I was just about to say. What? So we're getting five forty-five for our flick of the coin. I mean, that's just that's just grouse overs. That is one hundred percent grouse overs. That should be three forty-five because yeah, give them the nod of the home nation. Or maybe about yeah three yeah about yeah. You're getting two dollar overs there for mine. New Zealand's not not fr- afraid. They're not going to back down. Uh, they can win. Uh, I don't know. I wish they, I wish they thought that way. Uh, I got to kind of, you get five points for a drawn test match away, five points in the championship. I think they'd be quite happy to come home with ten points, having visited India. Uh, I'm not sure, Louis. Have a great weekend, mate. Anyway, uh, thank you very You're much right. for your, your insight today. Uh, punt well, that's the main thing. Punt well. Uh, coming up after the break, exciting time for the Phoenix. The men's team started really well. And the women's team starts tonight. The CEO, David Dome, with us This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Eleven oh two here on SENZ, and it's a huge night for the Wellington Phoenix tonight as the football club celebrates its first ever doubleheader. Uh, the men take on the Western Sydney Wanderers at quarter to ten in their third game of the season. Of course, they're unbeaten at this point. But history will be made when the Phoenix women take on the Wanderers at seven o'clock our time. Uh, joining us uh, now is the Wellington Phoenix boss, the CEO, David Dome. Uh, this, uh, David, is uh, a day the Phoenix uh, franchise should be very, very proud of. Yeah, thanks for the... Oh, look. Just exceptionally proud. It's taken such a long time to get here, probably six, seven years of real hard work. Um, a false start last year when we were kiboshed at the 11th hour by Football Federation Australia. But look, we're here now. We've got a team in. We've got, uh, we've got 
20 players over there itching, rearing to go. We've got a full support squad and team over there preparing the team. We've got a brand new front of shirt sponsor announced yesterday and a sleeve sponsor we're going to announce today. But it's, it's just fantastic. Just really, really proud that we've managed to get this across the line. What does it mean um, overall for New Zealand sport, actually, for the first professional women's football team uh, to come about, to take centre stage tonight? Well, it's another step forward, isn't it? It's another step forward of, of professional women's sport being a pathway for young women to come through and earn a living out of out of their, their love for for a particular code, whether that be football or rugby or cricket or, or league or, or whatever it is, you know, basketball. You know, we've now... We've now joined the ranks where we can say if you're a young aspiring football player in New Zealand of any gender, you can you can be part of this. Uh, you can be a professional player, um, and as a club, it means we are a proper football club now. It shouldn't have taken this long. I think it's it's an indictment that it has taken this long. Um, mm-hmm. It's an indictment that we found it really hard to find commercial partnerships for it. But it doesn't matter now. Now we are there. Now we are across the line, and now we're good to go. Okay, two questions coming out of uh, that last answer, David. First of all, um, why has it been so difficult bringing it together? Well, there's a number of things. One, it was a logistical challenge from from day one. The league wasn't ready to expand. We had to fight very, very hard. In the old days, remember, up until last this season, really, it was the first season, the league was owned and run by Football Federation Australia, who didn't really want a New Zealand women's team in the W League, as it was then. When the clubs took it over this year... um, um, they, we worked hard with the rest of the clubs and they were supportive of the concept and we got it across the line. We had a very solid proposal um, that the clubs agreed made a lot of sense um, and it ticked a lot of boxes. Um, and, and everyone agreed once the clubs booked it over, other clubs go, yes, why shouldn't Wellington have a women's team whenever the other, the other clubs are, are allowed to have a women's team? So there was that component to it. And then there was the corporate side and... You know, I was genuinely surprised. We had a lot of people. We've talked to numbers, you know, hundreds of corporates through my time here. Of, and, you know, we've, we have a very, very strong, solid corporate base for the men's team. Uh, we were very lucky that Spark and Oppo came on board this year for the men's team in the middle of a global pandemic. But a lot of them said to us, look, we're not interested in the men so much, but come back and talk to us when you've got a women's team. And then when we did go back to them, they turned us down. Um, and then NZCIS, our 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 partner, who is going to be the, our partner when we move to a, high, a magnificent high-performance unit up and up the hut, they came in literally on Monday night when I went public and said we still don't have a front of shirt partner five days out. And then we've got Comrade Medical as well who've come on board and they're going to be in the sleep. And there are certainly a number of other um, interested parties for, to come on, who have since come on board or, or are looking to come on board and support professional women's football. Okay, so... Uh, David, tell us about... I, I don't expect you, you're probably going to do it at the, uh, more appropriate time than now, but um, you're going to have a sponsor coming on board today you want to announce, but uh, yesterday's one, um, let, let's talk about that. Yeah, so NZCISA have been a partner of the Phoenix for the last couple of years. They, uh, Malcolm Gillies and, and, and Kevin out there have, are building a, a brand new high-performance unit, multi-million dollars, so we're going to go out there, uh, the rugby guys are going to go out there as well. It's going to be a high-performance unit, of um, the facility, which I'll do, there will be nothing like it anywhere in Australasia. Um, it is quite incredible what they are building, and we're going to be one of the foundation tenants out there. Um, and really, really looking forward to getting out there. Um, like I say, they've been supporting us. They support a few other codes. 
And then when the media went out on Monday night, Malcolm rang me about 30 minutes later and said, look, we're going to be part of this. Malcolm's a terrific Will and Tony. Malcolm and Kevin are both terrific Will and Tonians. They wanted to help. They want to be part of the solution. They are connected into, into government. The government helped with shovel-ready project money to keep that thing going out there when COVID hit. So they wanted to be part of the support structure that's been put around the club to, to launch women's team. So really, really pleased. It's just it's a win-win for everybody. And once we go out there, the women, of course, will be based out there probably about this time next year. Um, so it all brings it full circle. So it's just really, it's exciting. It's exciting times. Yeah, and it's good news that it's coming together like that, to particularly the... Uh, the financial side of it on the field, uh, average age of uh, just over 20, not a lot of experience in the team. I, I think it's probably fair to say we should just keep a lid on expectations as they look to get settled, yeah? I think that's fair to me. I think Malcolm made a really good point yesterday. He said that we're supporting this team not because we want them to win, but because it's the right thing to do. And this is very much as a development side. It's it's based, it's it's. we certainly got a boost when New Zealand and Australia won the Women's World Cup right for 2023. So uh, New Zealand football wanted a channel to develop players going into that tournament, and that, this is what this is a lot about. So there is a lot of under-20 New Zealand representatives in that side, um, and they are looking to kick on for the next two years because they'll be you know, eight, they're 18 now, 19 now, 20 now. They'll be 20 to 22 when the World Cup comes along, which is a great age to be playing in, in a Women's World Cup. So that's very much what it is. Now, look, I think they'll surprise some people. I think Jim is, uh, Jim and Lewis, who's the head coach, has done a fantastic job of bringing them together as a team with a really, really strong New Zealand culture in there. I think they'll do a really good job. I think they'll give it everything. I think they'll be competitive. They did uh, they did have a pre-season against Sydney FC, who were last year's premiers, and only lost 2-0 to some, you know, um, mm. what, what Jim had called pretty average goals. So they would learn a lot out of that. I think they got a lot of confidence out of that. And I think they'll go into this game tonight, like you say, which is, is live tonight on Prime TV at 7 o'clock. They'll go into that game, 6.30 build-up. They'll go into that game with a lot of confidence. And, and who knows? But, you know, do we think we're going to win the league? No, probably not going to win the league. But it's going to be an exciting season and the first time we'll see professional women playing for a New Zealand club. Well, if they start half as well as the men's team, you'll be absolutely over the moon, I would imagine, because this has been impressive. Uh, under uh, uh, Ufuk Talei, but a new, a new captain uh, and Alex Roofer. They seem to have come together uh, quite well, um, blended in nicely. Oh, and let's be clear, the challenges. This is the third year. No other club has been asked to relocate away from their home base for three seasons in a row. And that's what's happened to us. We, we, to be honest, I thought that, that last season would be the last season, but no, there's another year. The club's relocated again uh, into Sydney, and Ufi has managed to pull together that team, along with very good recruitment, pull together that team into a competitive unit. And like I said, we're now 13 games unbeaten going across two seasons. Um, look, it's a huge challenge, a huge challenge with no foreseeable, um, nothing hard concrete that they to say we're going to come back to New Zealand next year. We're certainly working with Sport New Zealand, along with the other codes, along with rugby and cricket. We're working with Sport New Zealand to try and find a way that we can get board exemptions for international teams. But to have a team that's been relocated for three years overseas and to be performing so well is a real credit to Ufi. Now, we do have um, reinforcements on the way. We've sent over three or four of our academy kids. We have a we have an FFA Cup game on Tuesday night in Victoria, which is going to stretch us. So we've sent some... Uh, we sent some kids over there to help strengthen and bolster the team out of the academy, which is great for them. 
and then we've got uh, uh, another player coming, another international visa player coming, hopefully to get in there mid-December for uh, to be able to play some games um, in the early in the new year. So, look, no, I totally agree. He's done a fantastic job. Really thrilled with how they're playing. They're playing good football. It's an exciting team, and they're doing the club proud. What's the, the long-term prognosis uh, for the Phoenix? Is the licence locked in for quite some time to be part of this A-League? No licence anymore to We are now one-twelfth owner of the league, so the licence has disappeared. Cool. The league, the clubs now okay. own the league. Um, yep, so we now own the league along with all the other clubs. Um, no such thing as a licence hard-coded in. Our chairman, Rob Morrison, is intimately involved with the running of the league through APL, which is the, the ownership body. Um, I've said it a number of times. He's highly regarded in that, in that amongst that body. They, they don't really make too many decisions without involving Rob, <laughs> Rob in the process. Uh, very highly regarded. No, no, no. We're, we're right in there. It's no longer an issue. The long term now is very, very good. The league is um, uh, just looking for external international and finance to come in now, which is happening literally as we speak. It's just going through the final processes of of uh, approval through the Australian government. That will be a cash injection of, of many millions of US dollars into the league, which will grow it. Uh, the clubs have already embarked on a, on a big campaign. They've launched a new website. There's a new, there's a new football keep-up app that's been launched. Um, there's a big investment now into the league because the club's owner, and we look to go from strength to strength. And there's a new TV partner in Australia as well, Paramount Plus, which is a huge TV corporation, and it's also free to wear on 10, which is one of the big three channels in Australia, as you know. So we get a, we get a free to wear game every Saturday night. And in New Zealand, we've got Sky coming back on, which is fantastic, and we also have Prime. So we've got, to, like say, the two games tonight are both free to wear on Prime. So lots of excitement around the start of the new season. We've done, we've started really well, um, and we're hoping that <laughs> hopefully when we come back next year, we'll get another big crowd again like we did when we came back last time last season. We had 24,000 in Wellington, 22,000 up at Eden Park. That's what we're hoping for sometime in January, February, March next year when we can finally come home. Actually, David, you've stolen my thunder a wee bit because I was going to say you're probably sick of uh, gazing into this crystal ball, but is there a date? Is there anything? I mean, you're probably you're probably sick of actually surmising or even guessing, but uh, what is the, the best possible uh, outcome in terms of, of, of that, of getting a big crowd at home, of getting your fans to take their shirts off, etc., uh, that we're used to? When, yeah. when is the first chance in, in your, your thinking? We put into our diary or our calendar TBC dates from 29 January onwards. I don't know if 21 January is likely, who knows? But what I do know is we're in there for 29 January, the breakers are there for early Feb, and then Super Rugby starts mid-Feb. So like I say, all the codes have joined together to, to work on this, on how we can bring some level of risk management to international travel for sports teams between Australia and New Zealand. I don't know when it's going to happen. Nothing's been hard-coded on. I know Sport New Zealand are working very hard with us to try and get something across the line with government. Um, all the codes are aligned, which is very, very encouraging. Uh, like I say, rugby, cricket, league, breakers, we're all working on this together to try and find a solution using best practice across all the codes. I, 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 you know, I strongly believe we will have games back here in New Zealand at some stage in, in, the, in the new year. I just don't know when. Like I say, January 29th is our earliest. Whether it's that game, whether it's maybe February, I would hope that sometime January and February, the Wellington Phoenix is back at home playing games, uh, both at Wellington and, and at, in, in Auckland. Um, but we're very much now at the, at, in the hands of government 
Um, and like you say, we're working with Sport New Zealand to try and put a, a proposition to them now. Good on you, David. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Uh, enjoy tonight. Uh, pop a cork, I would imagine. It's been a, a long, hard process for you. So uh, win, lose or draw, um, I think you'll get a lot of pride tonight. And, uh, and well done on getting it done. Uh, outstanding. Good luck. Thanks, Melissa. I appreciate that. Yeah, cheers. Uh, David Dome there, folks, uh, CEO of the Phoenix, of course. And what, what a night. Um, as teams high-flying and the, and the men's side of things right up the top of the table. And, and of course, uh, the, the ladies start in a historical fashion tonight. Young ladies, too. 20-year-olds. The real future of New Zealand football uh, is up and running tonight. And for us all to see, uh, particularly uh, if you've got, uh, you all have Prime, free to wear on Prime. Uh, outstanding. So, and uh, Sky Television as well. Uh, we'll be part of that deal, so uh, a real chance to maximise this audience for these young ladies uh, who have made a bit of a sacrifice but are setting out on a sporting dream. It's 11.16 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have a, a few things to talk about. Uh, someone, uh, Chase, has come in and said, hey, Smithy, how come the Blues missed Team of the Year when they won the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman? Should be up there if the Crusaders are up there. They should be. You're right, Chase. Hadn't even considered that. The Blues, Leon McDonald and co., uh, yeah, they, they perhaps should be right up there, along with the Blues golf team from the Hastings Golf Club. I agree with you. Well, Australia have uh, answered a few questions for all of us by naming their test team for the first two Ashes test matches. The first, of course, beginning on December the 8th at the Gabba. Uh, Pat Cummins, uh, captain, of course, and Steve Smith, uh, vice-captain. Uh, but the interesting one was who would take the place of Tim Payne, and they've gone for Alex Carey on the basis of his uh, experience and his performance in white ball cricket. Uh, he's a fair player, um, uh, very, very good wicketkeeper, uh, excellent batsman. Uh, I think he's the equal of Tim Payne uh, in terms of both of those skills. So I don't think they'll lack anything there. And they've got a fellow by the name of Josh Inglis waiting in the wings well. So as well, so that, they're looking good, Australia. Um, and they, they'll come together through all the, um, the garbage that's gone on behind the scenes. Uh, they'll melt into uh, a really tough unit at home and they just love starting out at the Gabba and uh, Lubba Shane will, will slot in there uh, at, uh, at number three and then of course you've got Steve Smith um, and, and uh, not to mention the fact that they've given uh, Marcus Harris a go uh, alongside David Warner, second go for Marcus Harris uh, and then they've got uh, that very impressive bowling lineup later on in the piece. So yeah, they, they look good, uh, John. Um, and uh, England have just been flying under the radar, haven't they? They've been playing some pre-match warm-up games. A couple of them have been rain-affected but they've just... Quietly, Wallace has been uh, going on behind the scenes, uh, just simmering away nicely. Uh, nothing coming out of their camp. No, no, no dramas. But the same thing stands that I think you've brought up several times this year, Smithy, is that they just don't have the batting lineup. Like they've got Joe Root and then nobody, don't they? So who who's going to stand up for England uh, when when it comes to the crunch? They're heading heading to the gabatoire, they call it, Smithy. I know Aussie didn't win there last time, but they seldom lose uh, the first test at the Gabba. So. Who's going to step up for England apart from Joe Root? Is he going to get any support? Well, he'll get support from Ben Stokes. That's a real plus for them. The competitive nature of Stokes coming back into the side. Um, you know, they've got to, to get starts. That's the thing. They just have to get starts. Uh, so, you know, your Bestos, your Butlers, they're going to have to contribute. Terrific cricketers in their own right. Uh, so they're going to have to make runs all the way down the lineup. Uh, they just can't afford to, for it to happen at the top. Whatever happens, uh, they perhaps need to win the toss at, at, and, at the Gabba and bat, and bat well. And, and that will, um, if they can defy Australia's pace attack at the Gabba, 
uh, that will give them so much confidence uh, looking forward. Sometimes you, you win the toss at the Gabber and you don't want to get bowled out quickly if you're a visiting side. So you put Australia in and all of a sudden you're chasing 480 and it doesn't work that well at all and you, you start on the back foot. Speaking of which, uh, later this afternoon, of course, um, well, we really have to win the toss. I'm not quite sure whether Kane is a heads or a tails man, but uh, he's, uh, he's got to get lucky. And by doing that, I think the odds of the test match, our odds in the test match change quite considerably. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's a really, really big toss. I mean, 4.30 is, is as big a moment in the game for me uh, as uh, anything that'll happen on the first day. Yeah, Brendan McCullum said it was. It makes it 65-35. He gave, that's the percentage he gave it. Like normally a match starts, it should be 50-50, but he thinks if you win the toss instantly, 65-35. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think that's about right, uh, and it shouldn't be that way. He's right, but that's the way of the world over there, and it's the same here on a green pitch at Hagley Oval. Win the toss, you, you get down there, and you, you know you, the only reason you know where, where the pitch is because... Uh, is where the stumps are and the white lines are. Otherwise, it'll look the same as the rest of the block early in the season. And that's what India have to come to uh, and some of those visiting teams when they come to New Zealand. Uh, so, uh, and, and honestly, what will be happening is uh, all eyes will be out the window, the, the window, the viewing room window, particularly the batsmen. The batsmen will want to get in first on it. Uh, if, they, if they're worth their salt, they, they will want to get out there first and use it when it's at its best. And the bowlers will want to be thinking, let's hope we win it. So, one we get the best use of it towards the end of the game too. We can put our feet up today. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, India have got a big decision to make, Smithy. They've got a guy, Virat Kohli, back in their team, but there's no obvious opening. I guess the guy to go out would have been Ayer, the debutant, but he padded so well in the first test, you can't drop him. So you've got to drop someone, Smithy. I mean, I, the one for me, I know he's an absolute god in India. He was their captain last test. Um, but Rahane hasn't scored a century going back to the Boxing Day test in 2020, and he's had just a quick count, around 20 innings. Since then, his last few scores, 4, 35, duck, 14, 10, 18, 61, 1, 5, 15, 49, 27, 7 and 10. That's not a good uh, lineup for an Indian batsman. Do they dare drop a Jinka Rahani? No, no, there's no way in the world they drop uh, a Jinka Rahani. Uh, he's very popular over there, and, and he's a very good player. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he was, after the way they, they performed on Australia, almost uh, perceived as a bit of a saviour uh, when he took over from the rebel that um, Virat Kohli left. So uh, I don't think for one second they'll drop him. They might, uh, looking at their squad, they might promote um, Pajara to open. Uh, they might uh, come from left field and, and get someone else in, in there. They might um, left field someone like Saha. Or, or, or Barat, uh, maybe at the top of the order, so they can get that middle, um, that, that Pajara, Kohli, Rahane, Ayer uh, mix in the rest of the first, uh, top six. This looks very strong, uh, on paper anyway. So, I'll, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what they'll do. I, I don't see Rahane uh, being out of that side for one second. And what we do is, of course, as I mentioned before, if you're going to play Wagner, then I, I think you're obliged. With all those right-handers, you're a, a Indian right-handers, you're obliged to have to play Somerville. But what Somerville uh, needs is footmarks. He, he's uh, not a huge turner of the ball, but what he needs is unpredictability out of those footmarks, particularly as the game wears on and the pitch wears on. So um, if you play if you play Wagner, you play Somerville, so you can expose those left arm as footmarks as he comes over the wicket. Uh, and then, of course, um, that leaves perhaps the possibility that uh, young uh, Ravindra, uh, Russian Ravindra, who was uh, a bit of a hero in the first test, and might sit this one out. Yeah.
Yep, no, that's fair, cool. Uh, and earlier on, yes, with Stephen Box saying, we've got to put men around the bat with our spinners. What did you think of Captain Kane Williamson uh, and, his, and his tactics when it comes to bowling a lot of spin? Because he doesn't get a lot of practice with it, does he, Smithy? I and mean, all of a sudden he's got three at his disposal. Do you think he was aggressive enough with his fields? Do you think he used them correctly? No, I think his attitude in, the, uh, in that first test was pretty reflective of the way they performed on the last day. I, I think he's pretty happy not to lose. Uh, you know, I, I think he, he looked at that and thought, if we can get out of this, uh, we get five points in the Test Championship. If we can do it again in uh, Mumbai, we'd, we would uh, we'd do that again. And I, I think that might have clouded his thinking a little bit in terms of, of chasing and setting about in a much more positive fashion. He has to, particularly if, if he gets to the point where he does win the toss today, he does get into a situation uh, where he can attack, attack with his spinners towards the end of the game, he certainly has to surround India. He has to make them uncomfortable in their own backyard, on their own red clay surface. Uh, it'll be interesting for me, but I, I think uh, the skipper has to just step it up a notch. And uh, whilst I'm a huge, whilst I'm a huge fan, a huge fan of Kane Williamson in the way he's led New Zealand, uh, there's always room to be a little bit more aggressive. I feel as there is for you at home. And get on the phone right now, 0800-150-811, and uh, take 50 bucks off the TAB to put into your weekend's investments. Time to stump Smithy. Good luck. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Geez, today's a good day. Not only can you win 50 bucks from the TAB, but the first time in 107 days I can go to the pub and there'll be cricket on. Oh, what a day. But anyway, sidetracked. Alan from Fakatane, you've probably been able to go to the pub for quite a while. Welcome into the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, very good that you guys can finally join us. Yeah, yeah, mate. An absolute pleasure. I am very thirsty as well. But first things first, it is our daily quiz. Three sporting categories. You choose one, and then you get three questions right, and you win 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And, Alan, today you can choose between rugby league, cricket, or basketball. We'll go rugby league. Rugby league. It's the off-season, normally the most exciting time of the NRL season, Smithy. <laughs> yep, it is, actually. It is, uh, I, I quite like it, actually. I quite like this little hiatus. I'm looking forward to the subject, and I'm looking forward to success. All right, Alan, he's laid down the gauntlet. He's, he's thirsty for a stumping. Let's get underway. Who's your team, Alan? Your Warriors? Yeah, definitely Warriors. Warriors all the way. All it's right. going to be the, the, the year next year. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, you'll love this oh, yeah. first question then. The Warriors won their only minor premiership in 2002 after what team was stripped of their points for breaking the salary cap? Um, Melbourne? One of the worst things I oh, have ever God. seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, which team? was stripped of their points to allow the Warriors to win the minor, minor premiership in 2002. Well, incidentally, that groan you heard in the background was from uh, our panellist, uh, Brian Rarity, who was absolutely disgusted in your answer, uh, Alan, but he's going to be even more disgusted. In, he's going to be even more disgusted in mine, I think. Uh, I'm going to go for the slippery eels. One of the worst things <laughs> I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, double disgust from Brian. He's not happy with you guys. It was the Bulldogs. 
It was the Bulldogs in 2002. They were easily the best team in the comp, but they cheated. Got their points taken away from them, just like the Storm did several times. So, Alan, fair call going for them, those cheating buggers. But anyway, you're still alive. Question number two. Which NRL club, which is now merged with another club, has the record for the most wooden spoons? Um, St. George and Lawara. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, no, I wasn't after the merged club either. Uh, I was after the original club, but no, you would have been wrong there as well. Smithy? Uh, Okay, so it has to be um, West or, or Balmain. Um, now, I have to think that it's going to be the Balmain Tigers. One of the worst things <laughs> I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, you're on the right track. It is the Western Suburbs Magpies. 17 wooden spoons oh. for Western Suburbs. So you're on the right track, Smithy, but it means Alan's still alive. Still wondering <laughs> why you've asked for rugby league. No idea, but uh, we'll go for the last one, eh? All the best, Alan. Wayne Bennett. I thought I was going for Bathurst. Oh. <laughs> oh, mate, if only I had that today. I probably should have, given it's all on this weekend. But anyway, rugby league's as close as we get to Bathurst, I guess, sometimes. Uh, Wayne Bennett, he's coached 886 games, but he's not done yet. He'll take charge of the Dolphins in 2023. Who is the Dolphins' first signing as a player? Uh, no, no idea. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Rack your brain, Smithy. I think we talked about him with Vossi on Monday. Uh, come on, yeah, make him a <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, uh, Alan, you're a lucky man because uh, in my ageing state, um, my memory my memory is not as, as good as going back to Monday just after 11 o'clock. So I'm going to hand this to you on a plate. I'm going to say... No, I can't. I absolutely can't because I'll make... A mess of the name, and there'll be a hundred complaints. So uh, I'm got, I, I've got to give it. I've got to give it. I've got, I've got no idea. It's gone, it's gone I've never the beaten you when I've got a. I've, I've never beaten you when I've got a right question. <laughs> Whenever I get some right questions, you always take me out later. <laughs> oh, I'm blaming myself here. Like, were those crap questions or what's going on there? The ultimate answer is that you win, Alan. You win fifty bucks from the TAB for getting three questions wrong. That's awesome. Go the black cap. Oh. <laughs> Can you get it on in time for me to put it on the black cap? <laughs> I hope so, Alan. Hopefully it'll be straight in there. We'll get uh, Brian working on that now. Well done, mate. Thank you very so much. So who was the answer, John? Oh, Felice Cafusi. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Good luck. Oh, of course. Of course it was, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, won't forget that one again. No. Unlikely to ever be a question again. Still no, that's the problem. Still no idea. No. <laughs> Good on you, Alan. Have a great weekend, uh, uh, mate, in uh, beautiful Fokatane. It's 11.37 here on SENZ. When we come back, of course, it's uh, time to speak to our trotting guru, uh, Mick Geddon, on uh, what's coming up this weekend. And I can see a busy weekend, uh, at least four meetings I can count up already. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.42 here on SENZ and the perfect time to uh, catch up with uh, Mick Guerin of course who is uh, very pr- prominent uh, here on SENZ with his uh, weekend shows and, and this segment too which uh, he just gives us a, a nudge or two about the meetings coming up over the weekend and there are four that I've counted up, uh, one uh, at Alexandra Park and then one unusually at Wingatui on the grass today as well, uh, Addington tomorrow, Motukarara on the grass on Sunday 
Uh, good morning to you, uh, Mick. Busy weekend, as always. Yeah, morning, Smithy. And look, I think the grass track meetings are really important because, A, it's a, a chance for different types of horses to win, but it's also a chance for people to get out and socialise, and, and that becomes a thing today, as you know, as we all know. Um, the world opens mm. back up significantly. So for places like Mata Carrara or Wingatui today, it's not about the glamour of the racing. It's about getting along, enjoying people's company. Yes, you have a punt, maybe have a pie and, and have a drink if you're that way inclined. And um, perfect way to launch harness racing for them. Uh, in the slightly more restricted Auckland, they race at Alexandra Park tonight now. They can have people on track, but in pods of 100. Now, there's enough rooms at Alexandra Park, Smithy, that you could probably have three or 400 people there. I'm not, I'm not thinking they're expecting a big crowd because people are still getting their head around things. But I think in the next two weeks or three weeks heading up to Christmas, it at least gives them the latitude to maybe get 1,000 people on the property because they have so many rooms they could do that. And that's crucial for these clubs, not just the harness racing clubs, it's crucial for the galloping clubs as well for Boxing Day and New Year's Day because even with only a 1,000 or 2,000 people, Smithy, at least it feels like you're at the races, whereas I've been to a lot of race meetings in the last couple of months where it's been pretty sparse and you don't quite enjoy it as much. So racing is another, like the rest of us, winner out of today in harness racing outside of Auckland it's going to feel like a return to the good old days, Smitty. It is going to, uh, it is going to feel like that. Uh, look, Alexandra Park tonight, uh, what kind of meeting is it, and uh, is there anything that we should be interested in particularly? Well, Smitty, the big gun's back. The New Zealand Cup winner, copy that, has turned up, and it's quite a surprise to see him racing there tonight. He didn't race seven at 8.41, He's $1.50 to win. I don't think he's a good thing. I think he'll probably win, and probably eight times out of ten he would win this race. So the is probably okay. But he has drawn barrier eight over the mile, and that could make things sticky. If he runs to the lead, he'll bolt him. If he doesn't run to the lead, then luck and tempo come into play. The reason he's racing tonight is he's actually heading to Victoria with his 76-year-old trainer, Ray Green, in the next couple of weeks, and they're going to base themselves over there for the next two months and tackle the Aussies. So, uh, as I said, I'm just a little bit cautious about him tonight. Smithy, I wouldn't be surprised if he just turned up and won, but uh, he's absolutely no absolute moral. Really good race meeting there tonight with a lot of good horses. Lady of the Light is a horse who's won five in a row. She's in race six on the card. And if I was going to have a bet, Smithy, and of course the only bet responsibly here at SEMZ, I don't mind one in race mm-hmm. two tonight. Number one in Joy Me has had absolutely no luck this entire campaign. I like it. I think it's got a really good chance of turning up and winning race two. It's over the mile again by sitting in the trail. So I'm keen on race two. Number one in Joy Me just because she's got the right barrier draw, and that's crucial over the mile start because there's not much of a run to the first bend, Smithy. Hey, Mick, uh, is it a hastily arranged one at Wingatui tonight, or was it always on the schedule? I mean, I, I follow the trots, uh, but I can't remember too many meetings at Wingatui itself. Um, well, it's because they closed Forbury Park, So Forbury Park, uh, the harness uh, racing track in Dunedin, yeah. has closed. 
um, it's going to be sold. And, and look, that's sad. I think it's sad. It, it probably wasn't a glamour destination. So once they've closed it, they've wanted to say to people in Dunedin, we still respect the fact you don't mind a day or a night at the trots. So Winger Tui will race three or four times a year. Some of the other meetings will be going to tracks around either North Otago or Southland. So it takes a bit of getting your head around. It's not some of those weird things when they close a racetrack. It doesn't happen very often. But Forbury Park is gone. Um, if you feel like some weird memorabilia, they're going to have an auction of basically everything at Forbury Park. You name something at Forbury Park you may have wanted or you want something for your pool room, you can go buy it. Maybe. So that's the reason they're racing at Wingatui on the grass today. It has happened in recent years, but it's going to be the only way harness racing can happen uh, in the Dunedin region. So, yes, Albury Park sadly closed, but I'm sure those at Wingatui today, Smithy, will make the most of it regardless. Yeah, good luck, Dylan. Party, party on, party on wherever you are. Uh, party on on uh, SENZ over the weekend too. Uh, Mick, uh, what are you involved in? Uh, uh, guests, uh, likely guests, etc. What are you featuring uh, on your sh- your uh, respective shows? Well, tomorrow, mate, I'm subbing out. I've got uh, Louis Herman Watts in charge, as he always is, for the mail run at 8 o'clock in the morning. He was joined by Tana Walters, who's a very knowledgeable racing guy. Um, I'm having a morning off, Smitty. I've got a bit of business to take care of. And they'll be previewing not only Matamata, who have a good meeting coming south from uh, Ellerslie, but a huge day in the capital. It's Captain Cook's Stakes Day with a whole bunch of glamour horses. So Louis and Tana will attack that. The boys will be on the good oil tomorrow afternoon going race by race and trying to find you a winner. Then at noon on Sunday, Greg O'Connor will wrap the weekend and also talk about the Inter-Dominions. The Intergoms are in play. They got a new castle mm. on Sunday night. Greg O'Connor will be in charge of Kiwi Harness. So, Smithy, this is, without a word of a lie, the first time I can say this this year, I'm taking the weekend off work. Well, you've left it late, mate. There's not many weekends left. You've, you've left it pretty late, you busy man, you. Well, you know what, Smithy, it's been a weird old year and, and there's been nowhere else to go, so there's been no other point. I'm actually doing other jobs and it's taking a weekend off the radio, I should say. I shouldn't lie to you, Smithy. I'm, I'm actually going to be uh, be at the races and participating in other ways. But, yes, I've got a few other things in the irons in the fire. And the great news is SENZ's built up such a cool racing team. You've got Tainer, you've got you know, Mark Clayton's available, you've got Louis as the boss, of course. And you've got Greg O'Connor, so they'll take care of business over the weekend, and I can go pretend I'm important doing something else, Smithy, because as you and I both know, Smithy, nothing's more fun than pretending you're important. And and, and I know for a fact that you and I do it the best uh, of anyone in the country, <laughs> Mike. So, hey, hey mate. We're experts. <laughs> have a great weekend off, I say in inverted commas. Uh, have a great weekend uh, off. Uh, uh, all the best, mate. I will, Smithy. Have a great one yourself, brother. <laughs> Yeah, cheers. Uh, JD, uh, and Pacing for Purpose, um, you got an update there? What, what, what those drive guys fluke one? What happened? Yeah, yeah, it's bad news, Smithy. Of course, we're all raising money. Each show um, is trying to win money on the trots um, to give to charity. Um, Breakfast is Child Cancer Foundation. We're the Women's Refuge. Uh, Staffy is the Butterbean Motivation. And uh, the drive team, Fanaki House Charitable Trust. And they picked a winner last night, Smithy, at Cambridge. And they dragged in $405, which is more than we've made this entire year. We've, oh no, we've made $435. So we're sitting well in behind now. Drive have got $980. So 
What are we going to do? I know we've been taking other people's tips. Do we do we start picking our own? Yeah, we go big. We got to go big. Go big or go home. Uh, I think we look at one for next week, around about the uh, six seven dollar mark, and just have a fly. Uh, we'll, we'll make some calls early on in the week and see if we can get some. Uh, it's almost as if they're handing us these dollar fifty dollar sixty shots, as if to say, well, here's a winner, but it's a token winner, really. Uh, I, I, I sort of sense some sort of conspiracy there behind the scenes, but um, we'll work on that uh, as we'll work on uh, uh, what's coming up this afternoon with uh, Mark Stafford very shortly. It is 11.51 here on SENZ.